Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, the Gospel story for today, the account of the persistent Canaanite woman, is one that has intrigued and puzzled Christians for centuries. Like all the other hard gospel stories, it packs a spiritual punch. You know, it's a clue. I was taught this years ago. It's precisely those stories that bug us, that bother us, that we should pay special attention to because there's a great spiritual lesson in them. As the narrative commences, Jesus has entered pagan territory near the cities of Tyre and Sidon. That's in today's southern Lebanon. Why did Jesus go there? Well, it's it's not entirely clear on the surface level, but when read symbolically, it's very evocative. God's salvific purposes are for the whole world. God wants to restore his whole creation, all of his people. As I mentioned to you many times before, Israel was chosen, not so that they alone would be saved, that they alone would glory in their privileges, but rather Israel was chosen as a vehicle for the salvation of the world. Therefore, Jesus' primary mission is indeed to his fellow Jews, that's true. But throughout the Gospels, there are hints that his ministry has a wider purpose, that by restoring Israel, he would restore the world. Well, We hear now that a Canaanite woman of that foreign district called out to him, Lord, son of David, my daughter is tormented by a demon. Right away, this is rather extraordinary. When many of his own people were rejecting him or grossly misunderstanding him or even trying to kill him, this pagan woman, this Canaanite, Interesting how they use that term, because for a Jew of the first century, that term Canaanite would have called to mind all that was corrupt and religiously backward in the people around them. It's this Canaanite woman who acknowledges him by his proper Jewish title, Lord and Son of David. She represents thereby the longing of the whole world for God's justice, for God's mercy and God's love. She senses correctly enough where this is to be found. It's to be found in Israel, this specially chosen people formed according to God's mind. She embodies the hunger of humanity for what's on display in Israel. Now, at this point, we get a little bit confused by this story. Because this theologically perceptive woman comes to Jesus with a request. 
not for herself and not something trivial. She speaks of this demon that's tormenting her daughter. Now, for someone in the first century, speaking of a demon, she could have meant any number of evils, psychological, physical, because people saw diseases as caused directly by the demons. But whatever it was, it must have been something pretty severe to prompt this mother to seek out, in this extraordinary way, this wandering holy man. And Jesus responds to her in utter silence. Silence? It, it almost offends our sensibilities. I mean, how could he? How could Jesus, who is the embodiment of God's compassionate love, possibly resist this earnest plea? Can I suggest to you that everybody listening to me has had a similar experience? You ask God for something, not out of selfishness, not something trivial, and you're met with silence. Does it bug you? Uh-huh. I think we're meant to identify with this woman. Well, she's not put off. She obviously continued to pester, pray, and ask because the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, send her away, for she keeps calling after us. She must have been making a kind of pest of herself. At this, there comes a line from Jesus that's even more devastating than his silence. Listen. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. How terrible that must have been for the woman to hear. Not just indifference now, but, but rejection. And not for something she did, but for who she is. I mean, it's not her fault that she's a Canaanite. It's not her fault she's not a daughter of Israel. But there's no stopping this lady. She prostrates herself before him. That's what the Greek term implies. Acknowledging, as we saw last week, just who he is. You don't worship simply a holy man. And she says with touching simplicity, Lord, help me. Think of the times now when you've beseeched God for something. When you've poured out your heart. When you say from the bottom of your soul, Lord, help me. Well, that's this woman. Over and again, she's asked, despite the obstacles, despite the seeming rejection. But now comes the crushing response. She's met with silence. Then she's met with a first rebuff. Now this. Jesus says, It's not right to take the food for the children and throw it to the dogs. Huh. We've gone from silence to an indirect rebuke, now to an outright direct insult. I mean, he's called her a dog. And, and for the people of, of Jesus' time, that was an especially denigrating remark. I mean, how much can this woman take? But she's not put off. Out of her mouth comes one of the great snappy responses in literary history. 
What delight we still take in her lines. Lord, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. I might have mentioned to you before, one of the great masters of the snappy rejoinder was Churchill. And we love hearing those stories. Remember the one about the woman who was with Churchill at at table and she was finding him difficult. She said, If you were my husband, I'd put poison in your tea. Churchill responded, Madam, if you were my wife, I would drink that tea. We delight in this sort of thing, and this Canaanite woman has that kind of response. Notice, please, she never disagrees with Jesus. She doesn't say, oh, I'm not a dog. No, no, no. No, she she admits it. She says, yeah, sure, I, I know. You Israelites, you've received the fullness of revelation. But then, turning his words, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. At this point... Obviously, delighted with her response, Jesus praises her faith and grants her request. All right, as I say, it's a a confusing, puzzling story. It's bugged Christians up and down the ages. What do we make of this? Three rejections, pretty fierce, and then finally this acquiescence. Well, let me make a comparison. In the Middle Ages... There was a practice in some monasteries that when a young man presented himself for admission as a novice, he was made to wait, sometimes for days outside the monastery, in the cold and snow and rain, without food or water or human contact. He would knock and knock and would not be admitted. Then, at length, one of the monks would come out and tell him, Now, you're unfit. You're not suited for us. Or, the monastery is filled. I'm sorry, there's no room for you. Or, maybe you should come back next year. Then, he was made to wait. The monk simply disappeared. If the prospective novice persevered, the monk would come out again, maybe days later, and in a louder voice, tell him to go away. Only when, after many days of being tested, would they let him in. Knowing then, in a visceral way, that he was truly hungry for God. Now, a lesser soul coming to the monastery, knocking on the door, receiving no answer, eh, would have walked away. And if he had persevered until that first monk came out and then he heard those very discouraging words, he probably would have walked away. Or at that second rebuke, he would certainly have made his way back home. Only those who were really starving for God were allowed in. And they knew they were starving because they had been tested. Is there something like that going on here? Well, that's the way the church fathers read this passage. Jesus is testing this woman. 
not in a negative way, not, not playing with her, but in order that she might come to know just how great her faith is. He's preparing her, if you want, to receive the gift that he wants to give her. You know, that's a clue, by the way, from St. Augustine. Someone asked St. Augustine one time, how come God doesn't respond to our prayers? How come we're met so often with silence? Augustine said that you might be inspired to persevere in prayer and thereby allow your heart to expand so as to receive the gift that God wants to give you. That's a cool answer, isn't it? Suppose you prayed for something, something serious, something important, and right away you're given it. You might not be in a position properly to appreciate it. But now you're made to wait and wait and wait through silence, through rejection. Your heart grows. Your soul expands. And now, finally... It's ready to receive what God wants to give. So this woman, whom Jesus obviously loves, he tries her, he tests her, and she perseveres. And that's why he praises her. Oh, you are a woman of great faith. Are we being tried and tested the same way by the same Christ? Yeah. What's our response? Discouragement? Walk away? No, no. May our response be that of this woman perseverance in prayer, perseverance in faith, that we might be ready to receive the gifts that God wants to give us. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.